You're listening to 06 Answers, where every week we interview a different member from the West Point class of 2006. When you ask 06 questions, you'll get 06 Answers. This is the 06 Answers podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wang. On today's episode, we have the fortune of hearing from Ted Gutierrez. He's the CEO and co-founder of SecurityGate out of Houston, Texas. He entered West Point from Houston, went to E1 as a plebe, F3 as an upperclassman, and is a proud prepster. Ted, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us about you know your, your prepster days a little bit while you're uh, introducing yourself? I appreciate it, Matt. appreciate the opportunity to, I guess, reach back to the long gray line a bit. I, I, I think it's awesome what you're doing with this podcast and just proud to be a part of the show. How many years ago? I haven't even done the math. It's 24. So how many years since we graduated? Yeah, it's been maybe like, uh, no, I can't even do math on the spot. Uh, <laughs> God, we're getting old, bro. Uh, getting 18 old, years man. coming up? Yeah. Wow. And then it, well, it feels more like than 20 plus, I mean, you know, since going in. People always ask like, hey, what was it like at West Point? I said, it's a good place to be from, you know. But no, reaching back all the way to those early years, you know, in prep for this podcast, I look at a couple of the questions and it was funny just kind of going back and charting all the way back. What's funny is like we have more years since West Point than we did going into West Point. So it's in like the bottom half of our life, you know? Yeah. But it's still super memorable, right? So happy to be on the podcast. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Yeah, man. And, you, you know, you just made that mention of like the number of years out versus going in. And it just reminds me of the days and uh, all the other times, too. You had to say however many you know months are left that the firsties have versus, you know, the plebes have years of the academy. Any any sort of beast knowledge that really sticks with you to this day, whether it's been ingrained in your head because someone hates you or whether it's something you just internalize. I do the minutes at uh, from the bottom of my stairs for my kids. I got to. <laughs> I have, a, I have a nine and 11 year old. And when it's five minutes before I'm leaving in the car to take them to school, I'm, I'm yelling five minutes. I'm yelling four minutes, three minutes. And so my wife is always like, why are you yelling? I was like, I'm helping them. I'm helping them understand how much time they have left, you know? So I don't carry everything, but there's little elements of, uh, sometimes there are little rooms. I inspect their rooms and yeah, it's, it's, it's a good place to be from, man. A lot of, a lot of good memories. Yeah, and you know, you're just talking about some traditions with your kids. I know we talked to Mike Ricatello, Conrad Bound, more recently about some of the traditions that they learned at West Point that they've either you know brought home unintentionally, intentionally. Minutes is one thing. I got to ask: Are you one of the individuals that still can't your hangers, or at least you know put your silverware oh, uh, at, at that the, is so the funny. angle on the right side? That is so funny. That is so funny. You said that. So one of my I always take like 10 days off at the end of the year and um, the winter time has been especially tough in the last couple of years in entrepreneurship because just the way that the calendar year fell and when I was raising capital, I've always raised capital throughout Christmas, but this year I didn't. So I'm, I'm sitting here with a lot of like free time and I took 10 days off and I did so many cool things. But one of the things I did is I totally redid my closet and now I've got color coded every single Every single piece of clothing is color coded. Everything is in a hanger facing the same way. And sure enough, here I am spacing them all out and, and turning the, I can't even explain, but like you turn the little, the hanger, the metal part to the left a little bit. So it's all angled. And my wife was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm walking into this awesome organized closet every day. And so, yeah, I have to say that's exactly uh, something that I carry that I didn't even think about. I feel like you have to take a picture now and show all of our classmates what the SOP looks like in your household. 
And I feel like all of us, okay. right? All of us uh, that went to West Point, like new Marie Kondo was in us before she became a thing on Netflix. So I think we've got it all in us. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think the West Point year shaped a lot of us into the who, you know, it's not so much the what, it's just, you know, you look back at those years and how much kind of we gave. You just don't see that in commercial enterprise markets. You just don't. I mean, people just, especially with this younger generation, everybody thinks they could learn everything on YouTube and some things you just have to go and do for a couple of years, even though it doesn't make sense at the time, it teaches you things. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of it. And I'd be foolish to think that I don't carry a bunch of things from the olden days. Into nice. The day. Well, Ted, maybe that'll be a good segue to the first question uh, of the six that I'll ask. So the first one that we've been asking our classmates in this 2024 is, can you share a defining moment from your time at West Point that set the foundation for your life or career post-graduation? I think this is a tough one, but the one experience that probably nobody knows about that has defined my path more than anything was during Buckner. I was in a Humvee because I was a scout for a tank company and we were out in front of all the tanks doing reconnaissance. I was, I don't know, I was blue one. I didn't know what I was doing. I had an E5 sitting behind me. I had no clue, right? And all the tanks start getting shot. All the scouts start getting shot. And within like four minutes of this like six hour exercise, this E5 behind me is like, hey, sir. And I'm like, who's he talking to? You know, I look back and he's like, I'm talking to you. I said, what's up? How can I help you? He goes, you're the, you're the only one left. You, you have to report to the battalion commander on the, on the radio. And I said, what? So over the course of the next few hours, this, this awesome E5 was kind of helping me talk on the radio. He was helping me, you know, use the map. He was helping me call in artillery. He was helping me move constantly around this, you know, relatively small area of operation. And I had a blast. I mean, I was like a duck in water, just, you know, being able to go over a ridgeline, see the enemy, pull back a little bit, call the radio. And then there was just this magic that I felt on the radio. And so when we got back, this Lieutenant Colonel, I don't know who he was, he walked up and he said, who's blue one? And I sort of raised my hand. Here's all these upperclassmen who, you know, either had gotten shot during the exercise or weren't participating much. And he said something remarkable. I don't remember what it was, but it stuck with me the way it made me feel. And he was like, you, that's, how you did is how I would expect a brand new lieutenant coming out of school to do. Like you did a good job as a scout platoon leader. And so that didn't change me too much at school, but I ended up choosing armor. And then when I got to my first duty station, for one reason or another, I just found myself landed into that one scout platoon position. I went to every cool school you can dream of, and I was the only scout platoon leader. And, and, and so... What I learned about myself going all the way back to that, to that moment is that I, I think that as a scout way out front, limited resources, understand the commander's intent, but really you just have to develop the situation by yourself. If you don't have the answer, you got to go find it. If you don't find the bad guy, you got to go look for him. If you don't find the bad guy, you got to find the route that your boys can come back on. All of that is a mentality. And it's a mentality of if you don't have what you're looking for, go get it and do so with very limited resources, very small team. And man, that defines exactly what I do on a daily basis for, for as an entrepreneur. The, the mirrors and the parallels between being a limited resources scout, you know, out by yourself and, and what you have to do as an early stage entrepreneur, I could just can't think of anything else. And throughout my time, when I got out of the army, I went 
into the oil and gas industry as a quality assurance manager. Then as my, the time that I spent as, a, as owning a chemical company after that, I'm naturally inclined to, to kind of go out front, develop a situation, figure out what can be true, and then deliver on, on building a path there. And it all stems back to that feeling that I had with that E5 back then. So I don't know who he is, and I don't know where that lieutenant colonel is today, but make no doubt about it, that was the day that I decided to be a scout, whether I knew it or not. And it's so funny how the world will just like come to you when you're ready. And as soon as I started to recognize that's my world, I started to see where I fit in it. Nice, man. Yeah, hopefully that Lieutenant Colonel and that E5 <laughs> are out of the military. You know, they're hearing this and they're thinking, okay, I did have some sort of impact on those cadets back in that summer. That's great because I was about to ask you, you know, kind of your path into the Army as an armor officer and like the parallel. So thanks for hitting up on that. Maybe a follow-up question is just, you know, more about your decision to go armor, like when you went in to put your branch like preferences, was it armor and nothing else? Or like, what was like the, the backup after that? Like, seems like you're all in on being a scout, but like, what would we have seen Ted do if you didn't go that path? I, I didn't want to go infantry because I just was not really into that grunt lifestyle, but everything I did was hardcore infantry. I mean, every school I went to, all the, I, I went to everything except for ranger school. And the only reason I didn't go to ranger school is because I talked to my battalion commander. He was like, you really want to go do this thing for like three or four months? Or you want to go to, you know, sniper employment? You want to go to scout leaders? You want to go to Arslick? You want to go to Pathfinder? And I, I chose the latter route. I said, let's go do all this cool stuff. You know, I chose armor because I had a lot of armor officers that were help that I just knew very well. And there was this element of communication that they always shared that the skill set required to talk on a radio as your unit moves over very large, expansive territory. It requires this kind of vision of where your soldiers at, where your people are. And I loved land navigation. I loved it. It was one of my, the top things that I was good at. When I went to SFAS, I was a duck in water. Granted, I had a bunch of little broken toes, but I love land navigation. So I put two and two together and said, well, what if I can be way out front, land navigation as a strength, communicating on the radio as a strength. And naturally I just said, armor's gotta be it. And Infantry, I just didn't really want to like subscribe to that like grunt <laughs> methodology, even though every single thing that I did, including being in Iraq, I was straight up infantry guy, just super light. So, you know, I ended up there anyway, but <laughs> I took a different path and I'm glad I did because the skill set of talking on that radio, like either you figured it out or you didn't. And it has helped me immensely kind of after the army days. Yeah. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that in, in a couple of the other questions, but I do want to put a disclaimer out. Whoever the uh, branch officer is for infantry, they don't need to listen to this episode. This is really more so for the uh, the armor guys or the cadets, uh, you know, that, that want it's to go good, that man. way. Uh, Ted, I'll move on to question two. It's probably a good segue as we just talked about, you know, your time in the military. Our question is reflecting on your journey since graduation. Can you share a pivotal moment, you know, or two or a couple, you know, that fundamentally changed your path? Yeah, there, you know, I, I can't just pick one, you know, I, <laughs> some of my closer friends will know this is to be totally true. I decided to go to West Point when I was sitting at the Cadillac bar in Mexico at age 17 and I was with a Naval officer and he and I were drinking a beer or something. He says, why don't you go to one of the service academies? Cause he had rattled off a couple Texas state schools where I was going to go to college. And it was at that moment I said, no, I'm going to go to West Point. And I, I mean, I applied eight times. I took the SAT six times, right? It was at that pivotal moment where I decided, yeah, that's, that's my path. I'm not going to look back. You know, getting out of the military when I was 
walking around with, I guess, maybe, I don't know, 30% of the people from SFAS that had made it. I got selected to go to seventh group. You know, I've never quit anything in my life, but I just looked around and I just didn't feel passionate about what I was doing anymore. I think a lot of that had to do with my time in Iraq and what was happening with some of my soldiers when they got back. I just wasn't in a good place. And I said, well, I got to, I got to shift gears, saluted the flag on a Friday and never looked back, started a new job on Monday. When I got out of the military, I was doing pretty well for myself. I was a project manager in the quality assurance realm for oil and gas. And I always had to travel to Louisiana. And here I am. I'm, I was moving up the corporate ladder really fast. My wife was moving up the corporate ladder really fast. We had just started to have a couple kids. So we're living that, that life. And I just remember being somewhere and I looked at my bank account and I said, what am I doing? Like either I'm spending too much or I'm not making enough. I, and I wasn't like a global traveler. I didn't have like super fancy cars. And I just said, you know what? Like, I don't think I can do this for the next 20 years. Like I want to, I want to have some more fun doing a bunch of things. And, and I said, I, how am I going to do that? And I said, well, maybe I'll go own my own business. And so it was rubbing, it was looking at my bank account saying, man, I think I can, I can, I can do more, which launched me into almost a decade worth of really high risk, you know, debt, building my own business from scratch, taking loans everywhere. I, I bought a chemical company that was doing really well, but they wanted to do better. Ended up doubling sales in about three and a half years. It was a company out of Houston, Texas that I was with for about four and a half. And I, I was only a 25% owner of the company, but I was doing 100% of the work. And my other partners and I had a deal that we were going to sell the company after we grew it. Well, as soon as we grew the company, they didn't want to sell anymore. And I was still doing all the work. And one of the defining moments back when I guess I was 32 or 33 was probably the most pivotal in my whole career. I owned a chemical company. We had traveled all over the world. I did a stint in India for almost 60 days um, on a hydroelectric power plant in the Himalayan mountains where they were buying our chemical, buying our, our services. And in preparation for leaving or coming back, I would just there was a chemical spill. And it wasn't like a crisis or anything. It was just needed to get cleaned up. And I was there over by myself, pouring all this you know, sand on top of this chemical spill that happened in our warehouse. And the whole staff was on lunch break and my business partners were drinking margaritas at a, at a bar somewhere. And it was at that defining moment where I said, I, by all accounts, by all measures of success, I had reached a level of, I, I think a level where most people would say, man, you're, you're doing your own thing. You should be proud of yourself. But again, I just felt empty. I just didn't feel that it was for me. Negotiated my way out of the, that company, sold it. And then I started my current company. And that was the better part of a decade ago. And starting a tech company from the ground up, learning how to raise capital, learning how to truly take an idea, build it into a product, bring that into a market, and then, and then be able to you know, sell to and work with some of the bigger energy companies in the world. Like now I feel like, it, that those those pivotal moments all pointed me towards a little bit more self fulfillment. So, those are just a couple key key things. I mean, there's a ton of things that are pivotal, but those are the ones where I absolutely looked at myself in the mirror and I recognized I had pretty much reached the goal that I had envisioned. But I changed, even though the world around me was still the same. I had evolved, and it was time for me to challenge myself to new heights. And so, people ask me all the time, like, how can you push yourself? to take this much risk or why, why not just settle down and relax? And it's like, because I continue to evolve my wants, my needs, my desires change. And I like kind of pushing the envelope higher. So we'll see how high I, I can take it and how many 
battle scars I get along the way. <laughs> but it's been it's been fun, man. Those pivotal moments are what I think entrepreneurs and, and self starters look for. You know. Yeah, it's almost like an opportunity to succeed and thrive, and you know, find yourself and, and go over the challenge. And Ted, it brings me to a theme that I'm seeing from your your narrative so far is that, look, you just don't quit, that you're always, you know, like you said, from the early days applying to West Point, taking six, eight times, taking the SAT at least to like right. get in and break through. You know, following question I want to ask about your story is like, how has your drive to not quit evolved over time? So obviously when you're high school by yourself, you got to worry about yourself, right? Now you're married right. and you have a partner. Are you taking the same risk? And then fast forward, you know, you've got kids now. Like, how does that change over time? And like, what can you share with our classmates that they can apply to their own career in life? So I think it's a great question. And the way I would answer it is probably, probably two ways, right? So when you're facing adversity in your younger years, my gut tells me there's, there's generally a process to follow, right? So I remember somewhat of a grit moment for me at West Point was plebe year the TAC NCO came to me and said, Hey, you, you are not doing well in chemistry. And that really stuck with me because I was like, this dude just singled me out. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fail that thing. And I ended up just like laying it all out or giving, giving that class my all. And I ended up coming out with a B plus. And that, that was, that was a pivotal moment because I knew what the lesson plan was. All I had to do was study it. Right. As I got a little bit older and I started to encounter challenges whether it was, oh man, I got incredibly sick at Arslick, yet I uh, was able to push through and, and graduate. I don't remember where or how, but it was crazy. It was probably the biggest feat for me. That and Pathfinder School, I got very, very sick at both of them. Well, you just sort of dig deeper and you say, is this something that I really want to want to give my all to? But there's somewhat of a, of a of a path there. You know, when you have kids, it's like your first time, like, I don't really know what the answer is, but I'll figure it out. As I push through to kind of the next echelon of risk, which requires more and more grit uh, as an entrepreneur, what started to happen is that the, the playbook for working harder kind of divides. And, and I think some people, they keep banging their head in with the same kind of methodology that they've used to succeed in all the previous jobs. And there requires a little bit of change in your mentality where it's like, okay, I know that I have grit and I know that I can push through this, but if I don't innovate my way through it and I don't figure out a better way to do it, then, then I won't go anywhere. And I, and I think that's the real challenge that most people have as they get a little older, grit sort of changes into, you've got the stomach to handle risk. You've got the stomach to handle challenges. Now, how do you just kind of move through that? Um, and it no longer is requires that, grinding your teeth or the, the scars on your forehead. You're just like, Hey man, I, I can handle a lot more weight on my shoulders at this point. Where am I going to take this? And I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, Matt, but there's a natural transition that I think all of us have to make where we can't just look at the problem anymore and say, man, this sucks. I think you do have to look at it. Like you said, as okay. This is my opportunity to learn. Either I'm not going to evolve or I am. And that's where you got to, have to move like water a little bit as, as the challenges start to come towards you. And I think as we get older, we have choices, either we're going to be, you know, a rock in that water that just gets washed over. Or we're going to, we're going to kind of ride that tide. And I think over the course of the last five to seven years, that's the one skill that I think I've been able to figure out is 
I don't look at risk or challenges or problems anymore the same way I did, like it's some mountain to, to cross and it's going to be hard. I look at it as this is just a new playing field for us. No, man, that was beautifully said. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of our classmates, you know, the shift in mindset as you get older. And I think that's what plays to our strengths as fellow West Pointers is that we're all born to adapt to you know changing needs. And I think it's something that I think again, so, man. We're I all mean, going to experience. You get through West Point, you obviously can grit it out. I just, at some point in my career, I was just tired of just gritting it. And what changed was my perspective. And I think a lot of people get stuck. So I hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. Ted, I think it'll be a good uh, you know, transition to our next question. You, know, you talked a little bit about grit, and I think that's a personality trait that a lot of service members have. Our question three is, what's an aspect of your personality or passion that you feel has gone unnoticed or unappreciated, which has played a significant role in shaping you who you are today? Yeah, like people that remember me from West Point. As good, I, I right? think from afar. <laughs> Yeah, nobody knows me as Ted, like, at all. So, hey, everybody, it's Goot. People that probably knew me from afar, they were like, okay, that dude, round peg, round hole, this, you know, he he fits here. Like, because I love that stuff. Like, I, I, I was all in on the military side. School, I did okay. I mean, I think I made the dean's list, but I wasn't an all-star. But I just fit there. Like, that worked. And a lot of my military commanders were really upset. A lot of them tried to keep me in the military like long-term and I, no one really wanted to let me, let me go. But, and I, to be truthful, could not define for you why I needed to get out of the military when I did. I was a round peg and a round hole throughout my entire service through the military. <laughs> my closer friends would know, you know, I was a little bit crazy, especially after dark. And I was a single guy and I was the wild one. I wasn't the first guy to get a tattoo in my class. I think I was the first guy to get you know, the entire Virgin Mary and the last supper tatted on my back. Like what, why would you do that? Right? Like as soon as I got out of the military, like I grew my hair out, like I have pictures of my son being 10 months old. Like I'm straight up out of Desperado. Like it was, I I drove a 69 Chevelle for like four years straight. All these things were like kind of rough edges against the grain. But the truth is, is that my mother was a preacher's daughter from, from North Texas, right? Like I'm a straight laced dude. I went to a private school, I went to West Point and I always followed the rules. I mean, I never did any hours. It doesn't mean I didn't break any rules, but like people, I think, never understood that that round peg, round hole kind of follow the rules. That really wasn't, that doesn't define me today. So there was a transition where I finally recognized that the kind of world that I needed to be in, the kind of inputs that I was looking for was absolute pure chaos because I learned that my skill set, very similar to why I love reconnaissance. It's like, there's no picture of the battlefield. There's just terrain, there's weather, there's people, there's roads, there's routes. How do you make sense of all that chaos into a path, right? In entrepreneurship, the job that I have is by taking endless amounts of data models, endless amounts of comments and market activity and trying to assemble those into some congruent opportunity and then lead a team to, to, to execute on that opportunity. The military didn't offer that to me at all. The military said, here's a path. Here's the next 20 years path. 
here's the standard operating procedure for every job that you're about to have. And so why I went to SFAS was because I was looking for more, maybe not chaos, but freedom of movement. And when I jumped into the military, why did I choose, or excuse me, when I jumped into, you know, the job I jumped into leaving military, it was an auditor role that I traveled the globe. I spent 60% of the time on the road alone. Well, it was this natural gravity pulling me towards the unknown. And it wasn't until I was really about 35 years old where I realized I'm supposed to be an early stage entrepreneur. Zero to one entrepreneurship is very, very different than business ownership. Business ownership, you have a business plan that's generally known and you just execute on it better than the next guy and you end up doing better in business. True blue entrepreneurship is about seeing all the chaos out there and being able to create from that chaos this vision of an opportunity. And this is where, as a futurist and as a strategist, I felt like the whole world of 06 would know me as the guy that was always following the rules, the guy that was always the first to in line to, to just be a great soldier. And what's, what I always kind of battle with is like, where would I be in my journey professionally had I not spent a decade plus in the military? And if I'd have just jumped in, I tend to live a life of zero regrets. I just, I wouldn't probably go tell my earlier self anything because I actually think that West Point, following the rules, having a structure, I actually think that that structure developed and hardened all the skills that I use today. And so it's like this, you know, 10 years of following the rules and then 10 years of breaking rules. And I don't mean laws. I don't mean like right or wrong. I mean like challenging the status quo of what can be true. And I think that, you know, that's been my personal journey, right? So, you know, in closing, like what aspect of my personality, like I'm like, to, I, I view myself as a super dynamic, zero to one, figure it out kind of person. Whereas in the military, I wasn't that person. And uh, it's interesting you know, how other people might view that, that journey. But for me, there was a really big difference in what I think 2006 grads remember me as and like what I'm doing today, you know, and what's working for me today. I think that's the evolution of us all. And I, I think, you know, what you just said is kind of like what this podcast is all about, hearing our stories, hearing the journey from the West Point days to now and what got us here. And uh, I know you'd mentioned earlier about going to the 10 year reunion. I imagine like right. when we all see each other at the 20 year reunion, we'll see a bunch of different variations of the cadets we were and <laughs> the people we are today. Ted, I know you just yeah, mentioned um, in your story, uh, 69 Chevelle. So maybe that would be a good way to pivot <laughs> into our next question. Question four yeah. is looking towards the future. What is an aspiration or project you're currently pursuing that excites you and how does it reflect your growth since the West Point days? Yeah. So I've always been an adrenaline junkie. I mean, I remember the first time I jumped out of an airplane and then I remember the first time I scoped out. I remember the first time I had motorcycles. I mean, I've always been, I've always, I've always been attracted to activities that increase your heart rate. And what I learned in my thirties is there's ways you can increase your heart rate that aren't healthy. You know, I call them healthy heartbeats. And so, you know, strive to constantly try that. I, I've tried a lot of different things as far as a hobby is concerned, but now I'm into racing, racing cars. It was in COVID. I've always been into cars. I've always been into old school cars. My dad and I, you know, were always looking at cars when he, when I was younger. And when my son was born about, I guess, 11 years ago, yeah, I bought a 69 Chevelle. That was my daily driver for four years. It was awesome. But there was always this element of, man, I want to work on it more. I want to do more. I want to own an auto shop. And so, 
it was during COVID that the only thing that I found on TV that was, you know, sport that was still on was NASCAR. And I was like, I don't watch NASCAR. Who watches NASCAR? But then I just became really engaged in it. Like middle of the summer, I found a racetrack close to Houston. I went down and did a track day with a couple of cars that you could rent two months later. Two months later after that, I bought my first track car. Seven months later after that, I bought a trailer and I started traveling all across Texas doing track days. And so, you know, taking a sports car, pushing it as hard as you can on sports, on, on a racetrack in a safe environment. To me, it is one of the most fulfilling and exciting things that, I, that I've ever done. And it's just, it's become a real core passion. So I decided last year when I was 40, that one of my entrepreneurial kind of rewards was that I wanted to own a NASCAR team within five years. So I'm about four years away from that exercise. Over Christmas, I bought a, uh, I have a C5 Corvette that I do track days with on road courses throughout Texas. I'm going to do about 10 events next year or this year in that. And then I also, I bought a, uh, what is called a legends car, but it's just a five eighths version of a, a NASCAR and you use it for oval tracks. So like circles, I'm going to be running a, a league here in, in Houston where I'm going to run about 10 races. So yeah, you see me on, whether it's LinkedIn or anywhere else, you know, helmet, safety gear, cars, there's just so much between the science of setting up a car and, and managing it right. And the art of pushing that car to the tires limits that just, it just brings an element of, of peace and freedom and that repeatability, just lap after lap, after lap, after lap. It's almost this, it's, it's a meditation state that I've only been in like five or six times where after 20 or so laps, you just, it, it's different. And I think, you know, we're all what 40, like if you don't have something that is only yours, that only you truly understand that the world might think you're a little bit too into, if you don't have something like that, then I feel for you, man, because life is too short to not truly dive into something amazing. We all love our kids. We all love our spouses, how they create that space for us. But one of the things that I've, that I have absolutely, you know, tried to do more and more is that entrepreneurial spirit, that drive and that grit will tear us down mentally physically and emotionally. And if we don't recharge ourselves, then we're really not investing in ourselves. And so for me, you know, this passion project is, uh, is, is something big for me. So hold me to it. NASCAR team, 2020, what is it? 2024, 2028, 2029, something like that. Let's see if we can make it happen. Yeah. We got to do a 2020, uh, 22 year reunion, like in Houston or something. We got to be all fly down there and support it. <laughs> I'm, I'm into it, man. I'm into it. No, but what very well said about passions. I feel like that's something all of us, like you said, we're in our 40s over the hill. Got to have that one thing. I'll just make a side comment, which is interesting about armor officers of our class. I know Adrian Janusa is also an armor officer veteran, and he's all about Janusa built trucks. So I don't know what it is with the tank officers that's in our class cool. and always sticking to vehicles, but uh, very, very cool parallel. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Have to check them out. Well, Ted, I'll move to question five, and this is our grip hands question. It comes from our last guest, Dan Rickert. And Dan asks, what's the legacy that you hope to leave? Unknown, brother. I mean, uh, at this phase, I figure we're halfway through our lives. And, you know, when I look back all the way back to West Point and even before, you know, I, why, why am I here? What am I going to leave behind? You know, the reason I went to West Point was because, you know, my dad and my, my dad was in the military and, uh, I didn't just want to go to college. I wanted to do something bigger. And then when you got done with that, it's like, well, what do you want to do next? And so I, I learned, I think all of us have some natural skills that even we don't want to recognize sometimes. 
And I recognized at a very young age that public speaking was something that I not only was very natural doing, but I enjoyed it. And what makes it so special is people tend to tell me that they enjoy that too. You know, I, I kicked off a podcast in 2023 and that was a big step for me. And the reason it was a big step is because I think deploying your skill set when you feel really strongly about it, you can be a perfectionist and, and you don't want to tell the world just yet what it is, whether you're a writer, whether you're a painter, whether, whether you're a teacher, that internal person will sometimes hold you back. And I, 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 I tried to let go of that last year by saying, look, I, I do have a skill set of public speaking and I've got to start speaking. The question is, what was it going to be on? And I think that's the question that I'll wrestle with for the next 20, 30 years. And so thinking about what legacy do I want to leave behind? I know the form. I just don't know the content. You know, I think that with the, the world being as connected as it is, everybody has access to pretty much every bit of information throughout history at their fingertips. You know, we've got AI being introduced for... <laughs> You don't even trust videos that come out anymore or the voices. So about two years ago, I started to have this concept that authenticity was the new a new currency. And I, and I continue to believe that authentic beliefs, authentic communication is, is really powerful. And so my legacy will be something that I say, a thing that I believe in, a path that I charge others to take. If you t ask me what is that statement or what is that belief, I don't know. My job is not to define that. My job is to build myself and, and build my, my brain power, my resiliency, my skills, my team, my resources, that when the earth gives that to me, I'll know that that's my calling. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a late bloomer, to be truthful. And I feel like I'm 41 now. I, I feel like, you know, my, my 20s were all about figuring out what I was good at. My 30s was arguing with myself that I could be good at anything and finally letting go of that belief. I think my 40s are, okay, let's get it. Let, let, let's focus on what you're good at and, and, and try to drive as much. And, and so somewhere in the 50s or 60s range, I think I'll be able to reflect on a real big idea that can make us all better. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I do have confidence that some element of the legacy will be with my ability to communicate that. And that's why I come to work every day is to just stay focused on building that skill set, building the resources, building the team so that so I'm prepared when the earth is ready to give me that opportunity and I can see it. And then I just go for it. Nice. I know that our classmates will support you. I think uh, I remember hearing on one of your recent episodes of the, uh, the business of cyber that you were at an army Navy game watch party and, you know, people had Right. mentioned that they followed you on LinkedIn and, you know, they were excited for what you were doing this past year. So we, we both uh, know that you'll, you'll be successful and uh, we continue to follow your success. Well, when I hear somebody from the group tell me that they don't really know what I do, but they're rooting for me in the background, man, it, it brings a tear because, you know, we don't always know what the right answer is, but there's this element of faith that somebody's watching you, even though you can't see it and they're rooting for you. And so to all the O6s out there that, that are doing that mad love, appreciate the, appreciate the love. Let's do it for each other, you know, as we chart on our own paths, you know? Nice, Ted. And on, on the topic of doing it for one another, we come to question six. So what's the next question that you want to ask 
the next classmate? I don't know, man. <laughs> what would I ask the next classmate? You know, I had somebody that was really close to me that I lost a little while back. And one of the things that she always wanted me to know was what have you done for yourself lately? You know, you got to take a little bit of your time, your energy, your resources, your paycheck, and you, and you got to do something just for yourself. Because I think as servant leaders, as military leaders, as people that are always concerned about those around them, I would ask the next person, you know, what have you done for yourself lately? What have you done to invest in yourself uh, that maybe only you understand or care about? Because if we don't do that, then we end up not being our best selves for everybody else. And I think everybody else relies on folks like us. So what have you done for yourself lately? I hope that question resonates well. I hope at least for one person it gets them to think about taking care of themselves. Yeah. And I, I usually pose that question back to the, uh, <laughs> the guest. So, you know, if you could wrap up uh, the, our discussion, like what have you done? What did I do? Oh, I did something totally uncharacteristic. I bought an iRacing rig for Christmas for myself because <laughs> it didn't come under the tree. So I went to Micro Center the next day. I bought this amazing rig with a new computer. Like it's like a nerd computer, bro. And I've never done it, but I got my, you know, because I want to trade up, uh, I want to, I want to practice up my skill set. So that's something I did for myself. And it, over the last 21 days, I've done that every night instead of watch TV. And, <laughs> and so it's honing in that, that, that skill set of, of yeah, racing in it. Well, yeah, because you're like, oh, I, I sure wish I, oh, I would be cool to have one of those. And it's like, when I actually like paid the bill, I was like, really? Like, this is how much it costs. Like it's, it's, it's worth it. Like go, go do that thing for yourself. If you think that it'll propel you to your next phase yes. of the better version of yourself. And like, I'm already just loving it. Right. And <laughs> I'm one of those guys. It's like, Hmm, I wonder if this falls into our monthly budget, which is important. Like, let's not all go broke, <laughs> but I'm really glad I did it for myself. So yeah, that's my little selfish, my selfish plug. Very nice. Hopefully your family's okay. If it's, I'm, I'm imagining this, like this big ass. Well, I mean, like, we're eating, setup we're eating, morning. you know, <laughs> I mean, my, my wife is like, really you're playing again. I was like, yeah, I'm actually practicing. So no, I, I think um, hobbies can't overtake your family, right? You got to focus on that first, but no, it's, it's been good for all of us. So appreciate the question, man. Yeah. And uh, tell you, know, I'm just going to summarize our, our discussion before I turn it over to you to, you know, reiterate how people can stay in touch with you. And also if there's any last call to action, but, you know, really just appreciate you sharing your journey from the early days, you know, finding your way through that recon experience towards being a scout officer. Uh, I liked what you said earlier about, you know, kind of navigating the echelons of risk throughout our careers and our personal lives. I think that will be something that a lot of our classmates will, you know, take take to, to heart. And uh, just again, explain your entrepreneurial journey. We're, we're excited to follow you where you go, whether it's on the track, off the track. And uh, we look forward to also supporting, helping you build your legacy of using your voice and, and uh, what you said, everything about authenticity. So thanks again, cool. Ted. Uh, I'll turn it back to you if there's any, um, you know, ways that other people can stay in touch with you, uh, the preferred method, and also any last call to action. No, just thank you for putting this together. I know how much, how much work it takes out of your personal day. This is a really big legacy that's going to stand forever. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. There was something else I was going to say, and I forgot what it was. But uh, <laughs> bottom line is... Oh, how can you stay in touch? Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm big on LinkedIn. Anybody that is, you know, potentially hears this or, or, or wants to talk about some part of their entrepreneurial journey, if there's anything that 
that I have messed up or screwed up uh, that I could help you with, I'd love the, the opportunity to, to reconnect. So just find me on LinkedIn and it's always great getting a like or a comment on any of our, of the content that we put out. I just really appreciate all the support from the class. So thank you, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity and my best of uh, my best to 2024 to all the folks on the, in the class. Thanks again, Ted. And uh, to our classmates and all our listeners, we'll end our uh, episode with our class motto, never falter, never quit. Thanks for listening to 06 Answers. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on 06 Answers are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the United States Army, Department of Defense, or any other agency, organization, company they have or currently work for. Nor does its use imply endorsement of our opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. Any material presented here is for general information purposes only. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at 06 Answers.